everybody. It's Jean Nathan. It's Crosstown Conversations, and um, I am extremely honored to have one of our new, very exciting, dynamic council members with us today, Cindy Wynn from Council District E. That's right. And um, I mean, I, I just, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, the possibilities of this whole council. We have so many really exciting, strong women who've come on board. Um, yourself, Kristen Palmer is yes. back in, um, and uh, Helena Moreno. Back home in the city. Back home in the city. Um, and uh, Susan is back in, and uh, and the guys. I mean, they're no slouches. They're they're yeah. they're good guys too. So, and plus our our mayor, who comes really from the same kind of uh, dynamics that you come from, which is a, a, one of the reasons, uh, in addition to you being a woman, why I'm thrilled mm-hmm. for you to be on the council because. We all went through that period of time right after the storm when many, many people um, kicked in and tried Mm -hmm. to make sure the city came back. And I I just remember so clearly I was up in Baton Rouge because I did not stay. Uh, okay. I, I follow. I follow the weather patterns. I'm a little bit of a weather freak. Yeah. So I was watching and I knew, okay, there's no front and it's big Mm -hmm. and it's hot. We're going to get it. Mm. So, um, yeah, no, I was packed up and ready to go. I, I wound up having to leave later than I wanted to because of somebody else who I couldn't persuade not yeah. to have a meeting. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, so I wound up being here. But, I, no, I got out. And I'm in Baton Rouge, and I'm sitting at my desk working and because um, I, you know, I had work I had to still do. Mm-hmm. And um, I picked up a newspaper article, and I read about um, in New Orleans uh, in, in Lakeview. Mm-hmm. Um, Denise Thornton, mm-hmm. organizing people in the parking lot to meet and talk about what they were going to do with, in, in Lakeview. And I remember her complaining that none of the politicians paid any attention. Nobody mm-hmm. in public office bothered to come to that meeting. And I mm-hmm. said, I don't think that's the end of the story. Yeah. And sure enough, um, people like yourself and her and um, – our new mayor Latoya, you were out there uh, on the streets. So I want to ask you first of all, how did that experience affect your mindset about your role mm. in the world, and when did you start thinking that maybe you could parlay? from that role that you had as a community mm-hmm. leader to actually taking on the responsibility of being in public office, mm-hmm. which takes that to a whole other level of responsibility to people. Right. Well, first of all, Jean, thank you for having me here on your show. Um, um, so, you know, when you think about 12 years ago when Katrina hit, so 30 years prior to that, my family just arrived to America. And we were just How many re- years? 30 years prior to that because yeah. we're now 42 years, 42, 43 years. And so when you think about it, we just kind of got situated. And then Katrina hit. And I, and I shared this story before. You know, when I when we were evacuating, I was a basket case. I was freaking out. I was, like, crying. I had three daughters at that time. And my mom was like, Cindy, get a grip. You know, in 1975, when we when we brought you guys over here, when you guys were just baby, and we didn't even understand English, we didn't even speak, and there was no FEMA, there was no food stamps. You're gonna be okay. And for a moment, I just looked at my mother, and I'm just like, seriously. But then, right after that, I was like, you know what? She's right. You know, we gotta we I gotta get myself together. I have my kids. I gotta take care of. And we could rebuild our community. And so Sean and I actually came home November of 2005. Mm-hmm. It was two months or two and a half months after Katrina. Mm-hmm. Just hit. And we started rebuilding. And then, of course, we see lights in our neighborhood. You know, people coming. Just barely. Just barely lights. Because, no. you know, it was, it was so dark. dark. Yeah. yeah, you see just spotlights in different areas. But it was it was a hope for me. It was a sign Those of little hope. little signs of light. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you saw just a few, but then it was hope. And then as days goes by, then you see more people coming home, more people. And, and you know, I've always been raised um, in a family that no matter what happened, you have two hands. 
You can take care of business. You Hold don't on need- one second. Uh, this is the wrong number to call into. We're going to call you at about 625. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I offered the opportunity of 6 or 625. I'm actually on the air. <laughs> I've never done this before, but I didn't want to lose you. So um, we'll call you, okay? Stand by. We're talking to, you can listen to it on the air. We're talking to our councilwoman who just got elected. (laughs) What was I going to do? So, you know, so I was always raised to, you know, be responsible, you know, take care of yourself. Don't wait for the government to come and save you. And so that's what we did, you know, and I, and not only me, but thousands of people in the community, not just Vietnamese families, but you have African American families coming back, and then you have, you see other families coming in, just trying to rebuild the community. And, and so I think part of your question was like, when did I decide to transition into, you know, running for office? So the title to me is not that important. It is the work that I'm really interested in, I believe, and I, I take this job very seriously. You know, actually, let me step back for a minute because I should have asked you a, a, uh, um, another question uh, before the issue of when did you think of running for office, mm-hmm. and that is when did you th- think outside your home? So you start your first job is to bring your family home mm-hmm. and get your home back. But then you obviously, because I remember you so clearly, you took on the the responsibility of dealing with your entire community. Yep. So tell me. What triggered that? I don't know if anything triggered, but I've always been about people in the community. You know, I've always put people before my needs. Uh, I've always believed that when people around you are able to do stuff for themselves, then I'm happy. You know, and so I've always been a community type of person, just never thought about it. I don't need something to trigger me. It just comes to me naturally. And I don't know how because, you know, Gina, when I was growing up, I was a bad little kid, you know. And I so think there's a there's a little bit of a history of, of people who step out to do things of having that, quote, rebel. bad little kid. Yeah, the rebel. Yeah, we, we can't keep our mouth shut. Exactly. Yeah, so, but, so, it, I, I don't remember anything triggered. It's just that I wanted to see, I, did, I wanted to make sure that Serena's friends come, were able to come back, you know, that their family were able to come back. I wanted to see the, the school in, in the community Returns on that way, family could come back. I want to see my neighbor. You know, Raymond is my neighbor, and Raymond get on my nerve all the time. But you know, but I, I miss Raymond. I want a Raymond to come back because he does concrete in the community. You know, and I want to see. You know, Tia wasn't there, but her uncle was living there. I want to see Earl coming back because I miss us walking across the street at the end of the day, talking about stuff, and Earl wasn't home. You know. And so I, I, so I think that all that and, and just the fact that I wanted community to be able to come back, I, I was not going to give up just because we got a, a, a huge storm that came through us and that they're going to take away our home. And, and like I say, we, we just settled into the United States 30 years prior. And I was not going to um, say, you know, I'm not going to be uprooted again. I refused to. And then so that's when we decided, you know what, we're going to rebuild you know, the little that we have, we were very blessed. You know, Sean and I did not have flood insurance. We live in a flood-free zone, we were mm-hmm. told. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like thousands of people, right? But we flooded. We didn't let that discourage us. Sean and I worked uh, every at the end of the week when we get paid. We just did a little repair at a time. And eventually our home was rebuilt. And, 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 and your neighbors, I mean, there was, there was, that was another thing that was so distinct in, um, during those early days of the meetings that, you know, I was attending all over the city. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the determination and the, um, unified effort mm-hmm. in your community was, uh, notable. Yeah. It was notably at a higher, um, level of energy than so, uh, some other parts of the city. We uh, are very blessed the fact that Mary Queen of Vietnam, which is the fa- our Catholic Church, our foundation for us, was able to return and under the leadership of Father Vien, if you remember, I remember him. Oh, well. Lord, he was spicy. Mm-hmm. Love him to death, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Advocated, understand the system, and understand where to advocate for the needs. And I remember. Mm-hmm. And effective, too. Very it's, effective. It's one thing to be. Yeah. Advocating is one thing, but getting things done. And mm-hmm. I, I definitely have learned uh, all sorts of stuff from Father Vian. But, you know, I remember him. And because we were saying, you know, the Home Depot is not 
hasn't reopened, how are we going to be able to clean out our home? The next thing you know, you see semi-truck coming in with buckets of 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 mops and cleaning supply. And then you have everybody uh, able to clean up their home because, you know, in Velocilus, um and I don't know if you know this, but we didn't get like the five feet of water. We got probably about maybe less than an, an inch, hmm. less than an inch. But because the mow is sat for so long, so by the time you came home, you they, literally, because they wouldn't let you back. Correct. You literally yeah. had to gut out everything. That was, a, that was, I think, a phenomenal mistake. Correct. But, mm-hmm. but because of the, and then when you have Home Depot don't have any resources and you don't have no power, because remember it was pitch dark and she was not back at that time. You know, father mm-hmm. really got the community together, make sure that whatever resources that we needed that he went out and, and advocate and have it at the church and, and, and one good thing was like everybody, I mean people from everywhere, you know, even from people that were not in the district or in the air came by because they knew that there was resources there. Hmm. And, and the best thing is that we embrace everybody, you know, mm-hmm. even down to Salvation Army. I remember, I mean, I'm so sick of MREs. I'm, I'm still sick of MREs. Hmm. Remember those days where when oh, you yeah. go to a conference, you get MREs. For lunch, right, or for breakfast. Either that or those sandwiches that mm-hmm. they used to bring around yeah. on the truck. The so. little things that we take it for granted, right? But uh, but I remember, you know, Father bringing in Salvation Army, the Red Cross, just to help mm-hmm. provide hot meal when you're cleaning and gutting out. You know, pull, I remember pulling out my rug that was so immode. It was so disgusting. Yeah. You know, but just to have a hot meal at the end of a, a, a hard day, it was just, and then being around people. Mm-hmm. You know, at one point I told Sean, I said, man, there was maybe about 50 of us that came back at the beginning, right? And I said, Sean, it's like, this doesn't seem like a lot of people, you know. I was like, I don't know if this is the right decision or not. But, you know, the next day you got 10 more people coming out, 10 new faces coming out. And so it was really good to see and, and people. And it was because of you. It was because of the first 50 <coughs> that the others came. That could be true. But, you know, it was, but it was nervous. I was like, okay, good. Got more people. Because, I mean, when you think about it, with Katrina, we did not interact with people. So when you see people, you were so excited, right? Because most of us were in shelter, you know, tired, exhausted. And then when you don't see a familiar face, you're just not yourself. But then when you, I remember, I even saw unfamiliar faces and I was still excited. I was just glad to see human beings, honestly. And, but it was a good feeling. It, it taught us a lot and I think it taught the community, uh, um, so many things that, um, and it gave me, it creates space for me to do the work that I'm very passionate about. Yeah, and it's, it's a lesson you never forget. No. Uh, that, that working together with your community to bring a place back. And, and I have to say, I'm sure that you uh, had the same feelings that I did about uh, watching Houston and, mm. and, and Miami and then, and, and, uh, Florida in general, but, and Puerto Rico. Oh my, oh my God. And we, as, uh, I mean, Puerto Rico is worse than anything we can even think about, but knowing that what they don't know about how long it's going to take and all the roadblocks, the bureaucratic roadblocks that yeah. you're going to have to um, break through, yeah. that is a good place for us to go back to the issue of, okay, when do you start thinking about running for office? Because you, I remember again, I remember you talking about the bureaucratic roadblocks, mm-hmm. and here you are getting into a position where you're going to be dealing mm-hmm. daily with how to figure out how to um, open up those log jams. Yeah. And, you know, what I'm going to bring to the to the district, to the council seat, is people's issue. You know, I've, I'm a citizen. I feel like as a city council, I'm just like you. I'm a citizen that lives in the community that wants a better quality of life. And, and for me is being able to bring practical to city council. Many times I believe that we make policies so complicated that we don't even understand it ourselves. Why do that? Why can't we just speak plain English, create policy that makes sense, that's going to help move the needle for the people and not create barriers for the people? And I think we have a very great opportunity with the council that has been elected. And And I see Jay Banks as being a very practical person. I've talked to Joe don't know Joe from before, but just the brief time that we've communicated, I sense that he's a very practical, Christian is very practical. You know, Jerry is also has been, Jerry is one that's been at the seat, but I also see that he is also very connected to the community. And of course, Helena, I've worked with Helena 
at the state level dealing with issues that affect victims of crime. And so I know that she has that sense, that heart for the people. And, of course, Jason being at it, um, and I think the leadership that Jason is going to provide for us, but being real. I think you have real people on the city council that could make practical, really down-to-earth policy that we could all understand. Let me just make two comments on, on, on two things that you've uh, just touched on. So um, Jason Williams, who I, I said this to somebody today, I said, Jason's uh, he's got my, I, I have his back for life. Because he was the only person on the city council who voted with the community on the Holy Cross site. Mm. Okay, and I'll never forget that. Um, number one, and um, I think really you were the very first person when we sent out the platform on the creative economy who sent us back saying yes. I endorse. So uh, for those in the audience, you're going to learn more about this oh, in the coming weeks because we're just getting started on working on the transition. Mm-hmm. But um, we, uh, a number of cultural leaders came together. Initially, there were about, I don't know, 10, 15 of us that mm-hmm. quickly developed some, you know, fundamental ideas yeah. about how we can better support what is considered internationally as one of the key growth areas for jobs at a time when there's a big story today about a new report out from McKinsey's um, Global Institute about the disappearance of jobs because of automation. So what are the jobs that are not going to be hit by automation? And the creative industries is Mm -hmm. one of them. And this is an area of growth for us. And um, we're going to be working on this, but you were the first Please, one. Uh, yep. Bam. I mean, yeah. I think you must have like, I, I got it, it no, and I did. signed it. So no. that that kind of quick action is what I, I know it's going to get harder when you get in there. It's going to be harder. But um, I just have this feeling about you and, and uh, people like Helena and, mm-hmm. and Jason from before and others are going to uh, really try to um, move the needle. Yeah. Well, you have people that are very in tune to the people. And I think that is going to help greatly, and, and we need to continue to work together to make sure that not, it's not just your district, but it's the entire city of the city of New Orleans that we want to bring back. But then, of course, District E does need quite a lot of attention, in which you know I'm pretty sure my, my colleagues will be supporting me on as well. So let's speak on that for uh, just a bit. Um, uh, New Orleans East and the Lower Ninth Ward, these are both areas – that have um, really felt that you have not gotten the level of attention mm-hmm. that was really needed to help those areas yeah. come back. So, again, so that puts you so much uh, in the in the gave you the job of trying to do that. But um, what are a couple of the things that you're thinking about that um, from jump you're mm-hmm. going to really try to do to to um, help move the yeah. needle for Lower Nine and for the East? And we can't forget about Venetia now and Fort Pike. And um, Lake you. Catherine, yeah, um, because they also felt like they've been forgotten to as well. And we're definitely mm-hmm. going to be working closely with the Home Association out there. Um, we actually have a scheduled meeting already next week mm-hmm. uh, on talking about issues. Um, so one of the things that I'm actually doing is for the low nine is I'm committed in hiring somebody that lives in the low nine, that understand the issues of the low nine to engage me because I'm not going to tell you that I know all the issues there. I don't live in the low nine. But I do care about the people over there, and I want to be in tune. So that's a commitment that we're making. The second thing that we want to do is basically have a layout of the entire district. We don't know what we have. We don't know what we don't have. So a map. In a a sense, map. A new then, kind of map like, that, like that, for the resources and, and the impact. Correct. And, and then, you know, are. like where are our blighted private? Who owns it? Is it a private, a company, where they live, you know? And so that, and then I'm going to personally reach out to these individuals um, to say, "Hey, I'm Cindy Wynn, new city council person. What do you decide to do with your 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 your, your land? You know, because people around you have already rebuilt. Do you want to come back? If you do, how can I help? What do you need? You know, so we got to do a lot of the homework per se. You know, but we gotta we gotta treat people like human beings. We just can't say, well, you haven't come back. You need to go. You need to leave." If they want to come back, we definitely want to create a space. If they don't want to come back, we're going to say, listen, why don't you put it up for sale? Let me help you sell the property. What do you want to do with it? You know, we got to move forward. we got to provide resources to, to groups that want to do stuff. Like I received a call today. Hey, I want, to, I want to start up a business in the East. I said, great, talk about different concepts. He said, I'm looking at this building, but I'm having a hard time because the guy's Asian. I said, hey, I happen to be Asian. 
let me go over there and stop by and talk to the guy for you. He said, you would really do that? I'm like, yes, that's what I feel like I need to do is to help move the needles. Because I, as a city council person, I'm not creating the jobs. I foster support for individuals that have some means and resources to create those jobs. For me, it's just to remove the red tape, to make sure that there's no politics involved, and that if they're facing it, and make sure that they're following the rules. So if if you're doing a certain project, you got to make sure you engage the community. You know, we have a project right now that is requesting for a permit, and they're, they're hosting community listening session, which I think is great, you know. But I also ask that the people in the community, when you come to these different meetings, come with an open mind. Come with this concept like, okay, you know what, we don't have it here. How can we, we need to be a district of saying we we want to do business with people. So I, I'm going to want to talk at some point offline with you more about this because um, there's two ways to do those listening meetings. Okay. One is doing what you're required to do by the books, um, but it's not r- sincere. I, okay. and, and, and you've seen that, I'm sure. Yeah. And then there's the meetings that you're, are held where you really stimulate the the community to think about what the possibilities are instead of what they don't want. So I used to say before Mm. the storm, I was involved in community work, and I said, in working with community groups, I would always say, think about what you want, not just about what you don't want. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I think was really accomplished by the storm and the aftermath and people working together. They had to think about what they wanted, and that changed the whole mindset mm-hmm. from just pure opposition to how do you get what you want. And, and by the way, the people in the, lo- in, the, in the lower nine who were involved in trying to look at the Holy Cross site, they did that. Mm-hmm. They did that with mm-hmm. the support of the Tulane Community yep. Center. And, um, and then just as they were ready to present their results, the process was kind of scuttled, and all of a sudden, bam, you know, they went to the brand new council and and put through. Um, this is the apartment complex. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, yeah. We'll, we can yeah. talk more about it another mm-hmm. time. But I, I think that it's really important to make sure that those in those community meetings, and and you know this, so I, I know I'm preaching to the choir that um, they really are given an opportunity, the tools and the time and the uh, support to think through. Okay, how do we really? want to do this and because everybody in, in, in Holy Cross and Lower Nights they wanted to see development there they weren't mm-hmm. opposed to development they just didn't want mm-hmm. this complex is mm-hmm. on the river I don't want to get too much on my um, my uh, soapbox so that's not my job and um, I, I'm going to follow the interview with you with um, uh, a discussion with a woman who uh, has, has been working uh, spent a good part of her life um, on Wall Street Mm. And um, she wrote a book called Opening Bell, which we're going to talk about in just a couple of minutes, um, about uh, how women in the work world, in the financial capital of the world, just about really New York, had to work with each other to um, help them understand how to work in the – that's a very testosterone-heavy mm-hmm. universe, the finance yeah. world. Um, and so uh, my question to you is um, – how do you view yourself as a woman coming into the political arena and having been part of that struggle after the storm? Um, was it harder? Was it easier? What What was different, if anything, about the way you tackled what you were trying to accomplish as a woman? God, you know, I've never thought about it that way. I've always looked at things like, okay, if we need this, I'm going to make sure it, it happens. Um, and that's it. I, I don't think of barriers that is put in front of me because I am a woman. Um, I just my my belief has always been that if there's barriers, I'm gonna remove it, and that's just it. And I don't compare myself with somebody else. Um, and that's kind of like my motto. I've always been um, because I believe that no matter um, um, no matter who is it, you know. If, if you're working on something, there will be existing barriers. It may may take me a little bit longer to remove it, but I'm going to remove it. And I'm not going to – I guess what I mean is I'm not going to use my gender as a reason why I have barriers um, at all. I just I, – I don't think that way because I also believe that male also have barriers as well. We probably have a little bit more, 
But I think that makes me as a stronger person, as a stronger woman anyway. And so I feel like that's an advantage for me because I'm getting to practice. And I think that has helped me prepare for this seat that I'm about to, to walk into in May that I'm actually in. But I, one thing that is that I love doing it, you know, and I just believe that when you love doing it, no matter there's barriers, either you're a man or a woman, you know, you'll be able to remove it. You know, you've got to think positive. And that's what I'm going to continue to do. It goes back to what your mother told you, right, when uh, after the storm, she says, get a grip. That's right, get a grip. You know, it. Her, your family had been through worse mm-hmm. than what you were going, about to go through. Mm-hmm. And, again, I'm, I'm sure that um, it made you heart sick to hear the stories from Houston and, and oh, Puerto Rico. Oh, my God. And cause you, 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 I, I know we all of us here in New Orleans, mm-hmm. and uh, we're reliving yeah. What we went through, and um, again, this has uh, helped you get to where you are. I, I'm, I'm going to uh, give you one last question because I know that um, I've got this woman from New York who's waiting to come yeah. on too, and we're, we're going to come back. We're going to talk some more okay. as time goes on. Please give us a call. Okay, whenever you great. You want to kind of yes. get the word out on something, but um, your vision um, four years from now, New Orleans East, Lower Nine, mm-hmm. the Isles. What does it look like? It's clean that um, people are beginning to, when I say people, I say people that live in the district, people that live outside the district, has a sense of ownership in their community. Um, we Six Flag is open for business. We got jobs for our young folks. Um, 50% of our blighted properties has been addressed. Um, at least some of our major streets that are crumbling so bad that you can't even walk or drive are being addressed. I think overall is that people have a good sense of community ship. You know, that they feel like government is really working for me and that I want to participate in the process um, and that people don't have to do the get your vote out campaign because I want to understand that that is my obligation and my duty to vote um, to keep the people in, in city government. But truthfully for me is to make sh- to for people to have a better sense that city government should be working for you. And that you do have a voice in city government. I think at a minimum, I want to be able to accomplish that outside from the external factors of the quality of life. But if I could reach those that were very uh, anti-government, anti-voting, if I could just go get through one and say, you know what, Cindy, you know, I saw you work for the past four years. I didn't vote it last time, but just seeing you and I, I see a different perspective of city government, I think that's victory for me. Yeah, that sounds um, that sounds like a pretty great vision and yeah. a great victory. Cindy Wynn, a new council person for District E. I'm wishing you all the luck in the world, Thank you. and um, I know you're going to have a lot of support from the community and from the whole city and mm-hmm. from the council people that uh, you're going to be serving with. Let me tell you, Jean, and I have, and I want to thank uh, people that have reached out from in the district, outside the district, outside the state of Louisiana. Who have just been, you know, it's like, you know, I'm here for you, but please keep us in your prayers. But most importantly, please work with us as partners. Don't think that, you know, you got me in, then you're done. No, I need, I need your continued support. I need your guidance. You know, when you see me on the street, no matter if in District E or in somewhere else, just pull me to the side and just say, hey, you know, this is a feedback, and I welcome all feedback. And hopefully, we, we're looking for positive solution to address the issue. We're going to talk about the issue, but we really need to focus heavily on the solution on how do we move our district forward and the city forward. We're going to do that. I know, I, I know it. I yeah. feel it. Thank you so Thank much. You. And um, I th- oh, do we have, you can't get through? Okay, send her, send her in. And um, let me get started with our next guest because I didn't get my phone call, um, even though she called in before. Let's see. Uh, Cindy, lots of luck. Thank you. Hi. Hey, 
Yeah, we have a little bit of a, let's see, I don't know what's exactly um, happening with my call. And uh, let me see, make sure that I wrote down the right number. And um, so 917, where'd it go? Okay, hold on. Stay right there. 917-7017. Okay. Is that the number you tried? No. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. All right. We, um, if I can, uh, if I can get her on first, I want to do it because I promised her I would take her at this time. And uh, let me just see if um, he can uh, uh, line it up. Um, I have with me, and what we're going to probably do is, um, if we can get the uh, author on, we're going to do her first, and then we're going to talk with Amy Daly. Pronouncing uh, Williams, Executive Director of New Orleans Photo Alliance, which is one of our really, you know, before all the festivals, you know, came for potato chips and, and um, fried chicken, fried chicken, <laughs> whatever, um, we had the Photo Alliance. It was always one of the biggest uh, and fabulous festivals. And this year, of course, coming at the same time as Prospect, um, it, it just means our city is just in, jammed with art, and, and is, it's really a, a thrill that we have so much um, happening um, throughout the city. Um, and the Photo Alliance, is, you do such a beautiful job of, of bringing together terrific uh, work. So I'm looking forward to uh, chatting with you, and I think I have my New York call on. Do I have it? Okay, let's see. Sure. Maureen? 917 Oops, sorry, I took it too soon. We're still trying to get her on the line. So <laughs> we'll continue. I'm sorry, folks, it's a little uh, um, herky-jerky here because we thought we had our uh, phone call lined up and it didn't quite uh, work out. Um, all right, so we'll we'll pick up on uh, Photo Alliance. What's special this year? Uh, how many sites are you at? More than 60. We're about 62 exhibition sites across oh the city. Oh, my God. And, you know, there are a, um, a hundred and over a hundred satellite sites in association with Prospect. And that's that's in addition to their official sites. So plus your 60. That's right. Well, we, and there's quite a bit of overlap between our gallery, for example, has the show of Samantha Jabal, who is a California artist working on body image issues. I think your call is ready. We'll pick it up there. All right. <laughs> we will. Okay. Hello. Maureen? Yeah, hi there. <coughs> Sorry, Maureen. I don't know what uh, happened, but it um, looks like we didn't have quite the right number. But you're on, and we're on. And that's all that matters. <laughs> and that's all that matters. And I'm, I'm thrilled to have you because um, – I read the uh, article in the New York Times about your um, new book, Opening Bell. This is Maureen yeah. Sherry, everybody. Now, Maureen comes from um, a professional career in the finance industry. And, and honestly, I can't, you know, as much as we talk about the celebrity Hollywood world and the political world, if you want to talk about an incredible universe of testosterone, it is the finance world. Am I right? Well, you're right, because when you have gender disparity in such proportions, you do, that's what you get, yes. Well, you think that's the reason, or is it also that it's, it, it is fundamentally a very, very competitive, high-risk um, industry where there's megadollars um, at stake at all times, Right. Right, and, and right. so uh, is that that's not uh, you, that's not as big a factor you would say as the fact that it was so male dominated. Yes, of course, and so this is one thing you still see today, where the entry level jobs, I think, hiring across gender is pretty equal. But as you get to the more senior positions, and as the money becomes a greater amount at stake, people tend to do what they subconsciously have the bias to do, which is they tend to promote from people who look like themselves. So that that is a lot to do with why it has stayed that way. Okay, we're also we're getting a little bit of feedback. I'm, I'm not sure what the problem is with that, but um, so yeah. And and um, uh, what's fascinating is exactly what you're saying. As much as they may be bonding, at the same time, the women who are were coming into the finance industry when you were, and you'll have to give me a little bit of a sense of the time frame. Um, 
you all had to really bond and, and communicate with each other and, and share with each other um, realities of the people that you were working with, both in, in terms of those who were essentially um, – you know, guilty of sexual harassment, but uh, I'm also as interested in the whole issue of equality in the in the in the job market and and the um, pressure, professional dismissiveness that um, uh, women tend to experience, especially women who are not there to just serve the guys and who are um, trying to do their jobs on their own terms. Yes, that's right, and. You know, I think for so many of the women that I, I worked with and hired, they would, they would come in and have some real questions about, you know, what are my opportunities and where can it go from here? And, you know, over time, I have to admit, I, I felt like I was, in a sense, not being completely honest with them because time and time again, I saw very good women leave. And they left for reasons that were very obvious to me. And because we had a policy that any kind of complaints are handled in-house, that, that their, they would never, their stories would never be told. And so by writing a book and by talking about these things, making them more transparent, it sort of breathes some life into it and breathes new conversation. Um, and <laughs> share with uh, my audience... Um, the the way uh, you all got together, I, I, the two yeah. phrases that uh, uh, stick out for me was, of course, the Glass Ceiling Club yeah. and the Whisper Network. So um, those are, are, are you know, uh, metaphors that definitely yes. capture your yeah. imagination. And right, well, it, like many groups, it started very informally, but we had had a few pretty um, shocking things happen. And we found ourselves in the situation that I think is happening now in other industries where sort of one person shares her story and then another does. And, you know, yes, we were sort of kidding by calling ourselves the Glass Ceiling Club, but our sense was, in a way, by sharing stories, we could better help one another to know what, what you know, people to avoid, places to avoid being stuck with a certain person, uh, you know, a lot of our jobs, you know, included travel and conferences and things like that and places that were ripe for bad things to happen. And I think this happens in other industries, too, where women have these informal networks where we learn to look out for one another. How did it start? Yeah, so it started with a, uh, a holiday party, and there was just some very bad behavior going on there. And we just found ourselves talking to one another. Uh, someone had had her bonus negotiation in a really, you know, uncomfortable circumstance. She shared her story. And one by one, people started to talk about not about litigation or suing or many of the things we saw other firms doing. We talked about how to change this culture from within. How do we do it? Who do we talk to? So that's how it started. And and then and what what how how did it have an impact? What value? How did how, in other words, was it effective? Yeah, I'd like to say it was. Um, I I think that uh, I'm not working in the financial industry any longer, but I am working on the screenplay for this book, and so I have spent much time interviewing women. In very much, you know, positions like myself, you know, professional women who are very ambitious. And I would say to you that some of the more outrageous behavior has gone a little bit more underground, but still things like pay inequity and, and harassment, subtle harassment is still very much the case. When you say subtle harassment, what do you mean? Say someone comes and is looking over your shoulder at a screen and his hand is dangling in front of, over your shoulder and in front of your chest. Or say, you know, there, there's just countless examples. Uh, say you're working on a, a deal together, uh, you know, a very late deal, late in the night sort of situation, and you, you know, the, you know, the person finds that thinks that they're suddenly on a date, that sort of thing. Where where you want to keep the relationship professional and you also want it to be positive. And so I found so many of my coworkers 
also did not want to stir the pot. You know, we had a lucrative job. We didn't want, we wanted to keep it. And sort of no one felt empowered to bring these stories to light. You know, I, I've been grappling with this so much personally because uh, I've, I've worked in broadcast, uh, television, I've worked in uh, marketing, I've worked in um, three mayoral administrations, um, and I, I can't understand exactly why I never experienced mm-hmm. any of this. Was yeah. I in such unique environments? I worked for Lindsay, I worked for Dinkins, I worked for Mark Morial here in New Orleans, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and again in media. And uh, the only the the way that I've experienced the inequality is more. Um, finding a, a general community of people who don't welcome outspoken women, and I'm a, mm. I am an outspoken woman. Woman, I, I express what I, I feel and think, and and so that hasn't been the easiest um, track. And, and initially, I kind of attributed more to being from the Bronx than than being a woman. But, um, of course, uh, over time, uh, it's become more obvious that um, uh, this is – I live in an iron butterfly town now where that's what you're supposed to – Magnolia, iron Magnolia town, and that's how you're supposed to function. But uh, I didn't experience the kind of things that we're hearing about Every day, of course, today even it's just incredible the people that were yeah. are being outed. Um, and speaking of that, um, blind and better brave, these are two um, ways that people can connect online and accomplish this that kind of, um, uh, I guess, advice and support uh, that you all developed uh, on a on a in um, a real time basis in New York. So yeah, uh, share that share that a little bit with the audience because I hadn't heard of them uh, before I read about it in the article about your book. Yeah, so uh, there are um, some women's groups who have formed um, uh, feminist collective, but also um, elevate Sally Krawcheck um, from City Group has formed something that's really quite empowering for women and and for women's financial literacy, which uh, is also you know very important, but. I think that, yes, the Internet, social media, places like that have created a new outlet. And I think initially these outlets were tended to be more anonymous. And I think there's now this swell of uh, power, if you will, or swell of like, you know, now is the time. If we keep, you know, staying quiet about it, aren't we part of the problem? And so I think the mentality has changed from sort of that, Weinstein pivotal moment where people suddenly feel that they don't really need the whispered network anymore, that they can talk about it more openly. I do think this is a very positive step, not just for women, but for, for corporate America, for media, for, for every place that, that has experienced this. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that hasn't been your experience. And, and when I first had the book come out, I got two sorts of emails. One, one were the saying that I never heard of anything like this. This must be clearly a novel. This is outrageous, this sort of thing. And then the other type of email, of which I got much more, were, thank you for this book. You can't believe what happened to me. And they would tell me some story that would be, you know, far worse than anything I have experienced. And so, so it seems about the culture maybe isn't about certain industries. Maybe the culture is about from the top-down management of whichever place you work at. Right, right. I, yeah. I think that's very true, and, and it, it really is. A, a, the culture of a workplace is shaped so yeah. much by the people at the top. Um, that yeah. can be it. You know, I can't resist uh, uh, digressing a little bit and asking you, um, as hopefully uh, this is indeed a pivotal moment, and we do see not only um, – pushback on sexual harassment, but also um, trying to improve uh, the place of women in the work world um, and in society in general, for that matter. Um, uh, what, how do you see that affecting the um, position of the financial community on the things like the tax reform that seems to be aimed at um, 
giving people in the upper echelons of the work world um, a bigger break and, and at, at the expense uh, to the uh, middle class and lower uh, middle classes and so ah. forth. Well, what role will women play if um, they are have more um, empowerment in the work world in that debate? I think, first of all, if more women were crafting a revised tax bill, it would look much different than it currently does. Well said. Um, yeah. I think, look, we naturally are nurturers and, and family and middle class and, and, and supporting, you know, workers of all gender, et cetera, is, is I think, um, just more natural to us. Um, you know, there's different ways to look at it, and I haven't broken the whole thing apart. One, You know, if I were to play devil's advocate, I would look at, you know, um, you know, there's some punitive uh, punishing for people who did not vote for our current uh, leader. And so, like, I look at, like, New York City where, you know, there is the financial community. Uh, people who own homes there, their real estate uh, taxes are uh, currently deductible. That would change. So, so in, in a way, it would affect some of the upper echelons in some ways, however, profit them in their place of work greatly. So I don't uh, I don't really know enough about it to comment beyond that. And like I said in the beginning, I, I just think it has such a testosterone-fueled tone to it in some ways. So I, I have to say I'm a little disappointed in a way that we're not hearing more from uh, people in the 1%. Uh, there was um, recently uh, a statement by a number of uh, people who came out in opposition to the uh, the so-called tax reform, um, saying that we really don't need this. Um, but for the most part, you're not hearing that much. And 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 I'm I'm kind of disappointed that we haven't heard more from the nurturing women, as you say. Um, yeah. Both uh, coming out of the financial world as well as uh, from other sectors. Right now, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of pushback. It seems to be some kind of fatigue that has set in. Is that okay? These guys are just going to get this done this time. And um, I'm horrified at it. And and even um, hearing some of the. Um, uh, legislators who we thought were going to be holdouts or caving. Um, I, I would hope that, uh, again, if it, it's true that this is a pivotal moment and women are going to have um, more quality in the workplace and, and uh, less exposure to the kind of pressure that um, the, many have experienced, that, that there will be, uh, we will hear more from uh, the women's voice in the different industry groups in the political arena. Yeah, not, I, not I, elegantly I agree said, with you but there. You know, and it's very tough to keep on the same sort of enthusiasm and er- energy of, say, the Women's March, you know, when it was sort of at a pitch peak. And so, uh, but yeah, you're right. I always feel like the voice, not just in this situation, but in many policy situations, uh, women tend to, you know, you're describing yourself as maybe a little bit outspoken sometimes. You know, that is not the voice we usually hear. From women in these in times, you know, we seem to do it retroactively. Once something is passed and done, then, the, and I don't know why that is the case, but that often happens that way. What do you see the outcome of your book being, Opening Bell? And we haven't talked that much about it. We've been talking about the universe that. Uh, gave you the um, stories that you could tell. But um, share with me just a little bit of your perspective on your book and, and what you feel the impact of it's going to be. Yeah, what I feel good about is I had originally written a version that was nonfiction, and soon before its publication date, the book was squashed. And, you know, my publisher came to realize that Wall Street's got deep pockets and is very litigious. And so... Who wants to fight that? So I went back and wrote it as a novel. Wow, that's a story right there. I know. Doesn't that? And so as a novel, it was. It sort of made sense to me because you're not going after a particular person. You are going after an industry that is committed to arbitration. And for people who don't understand that, every worker on Wall Street signs something called a U4. And what it says is, if you ever have a problem. In your, in your place of employment, any dispute is to be handled privately. So bad behavior goes relatively unchecked. And by writing this, I hope to tell the many stories for people who 
made complaints, received checks, signed a non-disclosure agreement, and we never hear the stories. And that's why I think because Wall Street does have deep pockets and can write checks all day long, that's why I think this behavior just goes on and on and on. So so that is what I hope happens from the book. I'm thrilled to uh, a production company had um, bought the rights to it. Warner Brothers is Yay. Uh, and this is going to be a great. This yeah. is going to be a great film. You know it. It's yeah. going to be the answer to um, what was the Wall Street? Uh, those two Wall Street films. Um, a Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, maybe. Wolf of Wall Street. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so this yeah. will be the answer. So, Opening bell, Maureen Sherry. Um, I was so excited to read about it and um, proud of what you're doing and excited to see what the um, long-term effects of this and as well as you said, the Weinstein uh, pivotal moment. And I, I, I like to say that uh, it, I don't know if you saw, you probably didn't see my newsletter, but as I pointed out, um, you know, we started out the, the um, uh 2017 with um, the disruptor in chief in the White House, uh, but yeah. then before the end of the year, we're seeing that the nemesis, his nemesis, nemesis plural, are fighting back, and they are now the disruptors. So hopefully, this is um, a uh, permanent disruption. Yes, yes, that would be that would be fantastic, and I would feel really great about that. And thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you, and uh, yeah, we part of the reason why I wanted to have you on is that we have just elected a new woman mayor for the first time in 300 years. We have a huge uh, change in our council with some very strong women on the council. We're uh, definitely looking forward to changes in in our policies and our politics in New Orleans. Come and visit great. us sometime, and uh, let me okay. know when you're coming, and uh, we'll definitely feature if you're going to do a book signing at one of our yeah. um, stores. We'd love to visit with you. Thank you so much. I'll do that. Thank you, Maureen. Good luck to you. Uh-huh. Thank Thanks. you. Bye now. All right. Okay. Now <laughs> we can get back to Photo Alliance. And I, I'm so sorry for um, uh, the problems that we had with connecting with her and, and interrupting you. So, um, again, now Photo Alliance is something that um, you've run. And before you, it was also a woman who uh I am actually the first. First of all, thanks for having me on again. Sure, <laughs> I, yeah, it feels like just a blink that I was here last year talking about Photonola. <laughs> I know, yeah. Um, no, I'm the, actually the first executive director. So the oh, okay. Alliance has been run and still is primarily run by volunteers. So yeah. uh, Jennifer Shaw is the artistic director of mm-hmm. Photonola itself of the mm-hmm. festival. So mm-hmm. Jen and I work closely hand in hand to mm-hmm. get the, the festival off the ground. And it's uh, again, um, it's a huge effort, and to do that mainly with volunteers, I, I don't, I can't even imagine. How do you? Yeah. So if somebody, if, let, let's do this right away because it, it's probably a, a, will be of value to you. If somebody wanted to volunteer right now to help with this festival coming up, and give me the dates: uh, December seventh through the tenth. And um, website where people can see the sites: photonola.org, and you can click on. The Photonola 2017 link, and there's links to every exhibition that's included in Photonola and our full schedule of events. So we have workshops and educational programs and lectures and parties all around the city. So everything is listed on the website. In my newsletter, I said that this is uh, this event is is for. Um, highly professional and skilled and long-term photographers. It is for commercial photographers, for art photographers, for um, amateurs, and the rest of us. And for everybody who loves photography. That is... And and even if you don't love photography, if you just want to be exposed to... um, the you know we everybody is a photographer now right we all walk around with our little um, uh, smartphones uh, and and our cameras and I, I take pictures constantly much more so than I ever did I always love taking uh, photographs but now do it even more so uh, to go to one of your workshops and one of your educational systems and get some tips so to speak and all, don't you also have um, as I recall uh, some kind of um, uh, looking at people's work and critiquing. Tell us about that, because that would be something a lot of people would love to go well, to. Well, the looking at the work and the critiquing are um, two different things. The heart of Photonola Festival are reviews, and we bring in photography professionals from all over the world who are curators and editors and gallerists, and we pair them with photographers from, again, all over the nation who come in, and they have their work reviewed by these professionals. On Friday night at the Ogden upstairs in the beautiful 
Taylor Library, those photographers who come to town open their work for the world to see. So hmm. the community can come and look at the work of 70 national photographers and wow, that's amazing. touch their prints and talk to the artists about the work and how they create it. And it's 70 different portfolios. So you're seeing world-class work in one room, talking to the artist, touching Totally diverse kinds of um, work, yeah. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. we are... Uh, very democratic. We a lot of reviews at different festivals around the country jury those folks who come in. We do not. We let people hmm. sign up first come, first serve, and we really? sell out those slots wow. in about 20 minutes. So wow. Abs- it's, um, we have a, we, you know, we certainly appeal to high level photographers, so the work is spectacular. Um, but we're very democratic, so it's all over the all over the board, different kinds of formats and alternative process, and it's a really great way to see the work of national photographers in a couple of hours on a Friday night, and it's free and open to the public. Free? Oh my goodness! Most of our programs are free. We really the workshops are not, but most of the the lectures on Sunday we have lectures at the Mint at the Historic New Orleans Collection. We're doing a program at the Advocate. Uh, we have a book signing at the at the CAC in the Stacks, and all of those programs are free and open to the public because we have such great partners around town. It's just amazing. It really. How many years has this? This is our twelfth year. Oh my goodness! And so, if I know you don't want to do this because you don't want to um, favor one thing over the other, but if you were to pick um, um, uh, just some to just give people a sample of the kind of um, exhibitions that are going to be on display. Give well, me a sampling. There's so many, uh, but you can't go wrong with the A Gallery for Fine Photography on Charter Street in the quarter. Um, right now, they have three exhibitions up that are all included in Photo Nola. Josephine Sakabo, which of course is one of our beloved local photographers and an internationally recognized superstar. Um, Michael Kenna will be showing his work, and it's uh, black and white, dreamy, gorgeous work. And then local artist Michelle Verisco. Uh, will be showing her photographic work, which is um, beautiful, large-scale work that uh, imagines New Orleans as an underwater city. So it's um, challenging to those of us who so were here the, during the, Katrina, but uh, yeah, <laughs> um, but beautiful work. So the mm-hmm. A Gallery for Fine Photography is uh, spectacular. I will plug our own gallery right now because we have a really terrific show up, which ties into um, the conversations you've been having earlier. Uh, L.A. artist Samantha Jabal uh, confronts body image issues. So she has a series of black and white self-portraits up that really challenge people to look at her and interpret her body the way she interprets herself from those external Um, the way that people look at her and how she internalizes that. She has lost quite a bit of weight, almost 300 pounds, and documented that process through these gorgeous self-portraits. Wow. And it really changed, you know, that process. That's tough. Right, and it really changed the way she sees herself and the way other people see her. You know, she's been the same inside, but she has a different body now. So these self-portraits are really pushing us as viewers to think about first how we're looking at other people and how we feel about ourselves and our own body. And we have body tracing exercises and it's a very interactive exhibition. So definitely stop by our gallery um, on St. Mary Street. What's, what, uh, give me the address. It's 1111 St. Mary Street. Okay. Um, and she'll be in town. So she'll be giving a, a roundtable discussion at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning. That's the, t- the 10th and then on, or the 9th. And then Saturday night, she'll be here in town for a reception in the gallery and doing an artist talk on her work. So we'd love to have you there as well. So one of the things I'd love for you to do for me is that uh, over the course of the event, um, let's have a a couple of the photographers come on the show. Oh, we would love that. Yeah, and uh, who can talk about their work, again, from maybe very different kinds of work and uh, people from elsewhere because, um, of course, we can talk to Josephine and Michelle um, uh, and other other times uh, easily. um, and so let's repeat uh, the dates, the um, where people can get information, and make sure that we get folks out to see the shows. So photonola.org. Um, we didn't even talk about our opening celebration at Noma, which is Thursday night, and that is in partnership with Prospect, which we alluded to earlier. 
Um, and the keynote speaker is Xaviera Simmons, who is a Brooklyn-based artist who is spectacular. And her I work- saw some of that work today. And she, mm-hmm. so she'll be back. She did an opening presentation during Prospect's opening weekend, and we're mm-hmm. bringing her back to do an extended uh, talk downstairs in the auditorium as our keynote address. And that's on Thursday night, and tickets are available to that event um, mm-hmm. online. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great deal. It's $35 with an open bar and food and Xavier Simmons. So we welcome everybody to come out to that event at NOMA next Thursday. I'm glad you grabbed that. <laughs> <laughs> and, again, the website? Photonola.org. Photonola.org, everybody. I, I, I promise you this is a very, very worthwhile, a fun way to see a lot of really important and interesting art and, and to uh, have the opportunity to maybe get some um, ideas about your own work because I know you're all photographers out there. We all are now. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having and, me. And um, send us some see photographers. <laughs> all right. Take care. And that's it. Gene Nathan, Crosstown Conversations. Talk to you next week. <laughs>